Every year, you can pretty much set your clock by the National Defense Authorization Act. It is a huge piece of legislation, nearly a trillion dollars worth. But it's also reliable. Like a July 4th parade, this bill is going to make its way through Congress, no matter who's running things. A lot of the time, it gets named after someone, like a battleship. In 2018, it was the John McCain Defense Authorization Act. Last year, retiring Senator James Inhofe got the honor. What I'm saying is, usually, you and I would not be talking about the Defense Authorization Act. Or as Melanie Zanona at CNN puts it, because it is such a big bill and it's so important, but it's usually not that controversial or spicy. Yeah. I mean, when I read about this bill, it seemed like it had the potential to be the definition of a messaging bill. Just because, like, it doesn't appropriate money. It, like, offers a roadmap for how to spend money that gets appropriated. It's like an invitation for big thoughts. Is that... (laughs) Am I reading that right? You're absolutely right. So there's a difference between a spending bill and an authorization bill. So you can kind of think about it like a credit card. Like, this is going to authorize what they can spend and how much they can spend on certain things. And then they'll still have to go in and actually appropriate that money and actually spend the money. Like Melanie said, all this does not sound very controversial or spicy. But this year, everything in Congress has become controversial and spicy. And the version of the Defense Authorization Act that just passed the House, it delights in controversy. It bans the pride flag from being flown over the Pentagon. It prevents the military from helping soldiers travel if they need an abortion. And, of course, it stops the military from paying for gender-affirming care. When Speaker Kevin McCarthy got asked what exactly he was trying to do here, He said he wanted Congress to stop using taxpayer money to do their own wokeism. A military cannot defend themselves if you train them in woke. We don't want Disneyland to train our military. We want our men and women in the military to have every defense possible. And that's what our bill does. The money. The Senate is now eyeing this thing like, really? We don't even know if it's actually going to make it to the finish line this time. I think there's more questions than ever before about its passage. Yeah, I was thinking, if this is a messaging bill, what message is it sending? That's the great question, right? I mean, you know, the overall message from Republicans here was that they are willing to use any avenue at their disposal to wage these culture wars that have animated the base in recent years, that have really come to define the Republican Party. Today on the show the twisted tale of the Defense Authorization Act. It did not have to go down like this. So why did it? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. 
Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. What were the first signs that this Defense Authorization Act wouldn't be like the ones that came before? Like, when did you get wind of it? Well, honestly, it all really dates back to the speaker's fight in January lawmakers, conservative lawmakers, started demanding that Kevin McCarthy offer unlimited amendments on the House floor for all bills. But they signaled back then that that was going to include spending, that was going to include the defense bill. In normal circumstances, leadership would try to shield their members from having to take tough votes, and they try to weed that sort of stuff out before it comes to the floor. But Kevin McCarthy made this deal in order to become speaker. He made clear that he was going to oftentimes cater to his right flank because they're the ones who were threatening his speakership. And so particularly with this defense bill, we started hearing that various Republicans were trying to introduce amendments to claw back Ukraine funding, to target drag shows in the military. Members of Congress started introducing amendments months ago. Uh, So we did get a, a sign that this was this floor fight was coming. I just don't think we anticipated exactly how messy it was going to be in the end result. Yeah, I was struck by the fact that Representative Adam Smith, who's a Democrat from Washington, he's the ranking Democrat on the House Armed Services Committee. He like originally supported the bill and then came out and was like, no, I can't support this. But it it just to me, it meant that he didn't necessarily think that there would be quite so many amendments that would have to be attached to this thing. Yeah, not only did Adam Smith support it, but almost every single Democrat in the committee supported it. It was an overwhelming blowout vote. It was 59 to 1. 59 people supported it and only one voted against it. So that gives you an indication of even Democrats holding out hope until the last minute that they were going to be able to support this bill. Adam Smith, as you mentioned, he helped craft the initial underlying bill. I think Democrats were holding out hope that Kevin McCarthy ultimately would shield members and shield this bill from those culture war amendments. And I'm told behind the scenes there was some reluctance. They knew that putting some of these amendments on the floor was going to risk Democratic support. And so they were trying to crunch the numbers behind the scenes to try to figure out if they lose Democrats or most of Democrats, would they still have the numbers to be able to pass this on their own? And that was really unclear, too, because a lot of these far-right members who were demanding these amendments typically have not voted for the National Defense Bill in the past. They are typically a pocket of lawmakers that tend to vote against this bill. Why do they typically vote against this bill? It depends on which Republican it is, but some of them just want to rein in spending overall and they don't like that it authorizes too much money. 
Some of them just don't like the policies. Um, We've also just seen, especially in the aftermath of Trump and the new sort of Republican Party, there's a less of an appetite to spend on things like the war in Ukraine, for example. It's more of an isolationist wing of the party that has taken hold in recent years. And so a lot of those conservative MAGA type Republicans have not voted for the defense bill in the past. I've read that this bill basically dissolved into a GOP only measure last Thursday. What happened? Was there one particular amendment that that did it? There were a few amendments that actually repelled Democratic support from final passage. Uh, The big one was a amendment that would prevent the Pentagon from covering out-of-state travel costs for troops or their wives who need to seek an abortion out of state. There's also an amendment that would prohibit the Pentagon from covering certain medical care for transgendered troops. In the case of abortion, there has been a longstanding federal policy that bans federal funds from being used for actual abortion services. Now, the Pentagon, obviously, is not paying for abortions, but they have instituted a policy in the wake of Roe v. Wade being overturned that would cover someone's travel costs if they need to go out of state. Because oftentimes troops, when they're stationed, they don't have a say in where they're being stationed, right? So that is something that Republicans say is a way to skirt around the longstanding policy of the Pentagon not paying for abortion services. And they believe that to be a violation of existing law. But that is something that Democrats have really taken a hard line against. And so we knew that if that amendment were to be adopted, that that was going to be pretty much a a poison pill or a deal breaker for most of Democrats. Hmm. It's worth noting that some amendments did get left on the cutting room floor. Like Matt Gates had an amendment that would block any diversity, equity, and inclusion training. And, you know, there was one representative who wanted to get involved with renaming army bases and, and wanted them to be able to potentially keep Confederate names. So it's like there were things like that that got left out, right? There were some things on the cutting room floor. Another big one that I would point out is that Marjorie Taylor Greene had an amendment that would have rolled back the new authorization for $300 million for funding for Ukraine. Now, 90 Republicans, almost 90 Republicans did vote for that amendment, which is a, a pretty big, significant block, more than even she was anticipating would vote for her amendment. But ultimately, it was defeated. And I think there is... That is a reflection of the fact that there are a number of vulnerable Republicans, 18 of them represent districts that President Joe Biden won in 2020. And so while they wanted to be team players and they wanted to be able to vote for, you know, a pay raise for the troops and this important defense bill in the end, they also didn't want to be hammered in attack ads in the next election. And already you've seen Democrats seizing on some of these amendment votes and using them as cudgels against those particularly vulnerable Republicans, especially the abortion vote. Um, Hakeem Jeffries, the Democratic leader, he held a press conference and he had a poster with pictures of the five New York vulnerable Republicans who voted in favor of that anti-abortion amendment, which gives you a flavor of how much Democrats are really going to be going after Republicans for some of these tough votes. Yeah, I feel like the Democrats... (laughs) They're really going hard against this. And I see why when I look at, for instance, someone like Nancy Mace, moderate Republican from South Carolina in a swing district, 
She used really colorful language, reportedly, to talk about what went down in regards to this defense authorization bill, like the especially the abortion amendment. She said, we should not be taking this effing vote. We're going to continue to have amendments and bills that are not going to be compassionate to women, and we're going to lose seats, we're going to lose races because of this. But the funny thing is, she voted for it. She voted for it, yeah. I mean... Nancy Mace is an interesting character because she has really tried to walk this fine line between representing this swing district and reaching out to suburban women who fled the party under Trump. But she also doesn't want to be in another tough primary and get challenged from the right. So she still wants to not alienate those Trump voters and Trump supporters. I would say more broadly, that the moderate Republicans tend to be more team players and that they will often, you know, hold their nose and swallow something they don't like in the name of being a team player versus what you see from the more hardline conservatives who are willing to sort of muck things up and be flamethrowers, even if it makes them unpopular with their fellow colleagues, they are much more willing to hold the line and stand up. And so that is often why you see them winning out at the end of the day, especially now with Kevin McCarthy in charge of the House. I mean, I remember when Nancy Pelosi was leading Congress, she protected those swing representatives almost reflexively. She called them her frontliners. She knew she needed them in order to maintain control. That does not seem to be Kevin McCarthy's approach. And maybe it's because it's baked in. He's made all these agreements to, you know, get his seat by making agreements with the right wing. But still, he doesn't seem to be interested in protecting these people. That is because every single day, Kevin McCarthy has to worry about whether he can keep his job or not, because he empowered these right wing Republicans to be able to force a vote at any given moment to oust him as the sitting speaker. And so, yes, he is obviously worried about keeping his majority and he does need to look out for those members. But he views that as a November problem, a next November problem. More immediately, he needs to keep his right flank happy in order to keep the speaker's gavel. And that's the reality that he's confronting every single day. We'll be right back after a quick break. So when this final vote went down, was it a nail biter? (laughs) Were people sitting there like, what's going to happen? It wasn't a nail biter. Kevin McCarthy constantly criticizes the press for asking, do you have the votes? But the reason why we ask that is because he can only afford to lose a handful of members on any single partisan party line vote. In the end, four Republicans voted against it. Four Democrats voted for it. We had someone in the chamber, a reporter for us, who was watching the electronic board where the votes go up. And we only send someone in there for votes where we're unsure about what the final outcome is really going to be, if that gives you any sense of how much of a nail biter it was. Okay, so this defense authorization bill, it's got to go through the Senate. So what happens over on the other side of the Capitol right now? So the Senate is currently working its way through its own bill. They are pursuing their own version of the National Defense Authorization Act. They're hoping to finish that up this work period. Do these bills have anything to do with each other? Or are they just like two rogue bills floating around? <laughs> well, they, you know, they the one thing they do share is they have the same name. They're both the, <laughs> the National Defense Act authorization. So in the Senate, the Democrats have pursued a, their completely own version that does not touch on any of these hot button issues. 
when they pass that bill, the House and the Senate are going to have to come together. It's what's known as a conference. They come together on a conference committee and then they try to find areas of agreement and try to sync the bills. So they have identically matching bills. That is the goal of a conference committee. But they are starting, are going to be starting at such vastly different places that it's hard to imagine how they're going to come up with identical bills that can have enough support to pass both chambers. And in a sign of just how spicy things might get, Kevin McCarthy actually agreed to put Marjorie Taylor Greene on that negotiating team. Marjorie Taylor Greene, someone who was initially going to vote against the defense bill, ultimately voted yes, but has made clear that she doesn't think that even the House version goes far enough in her mind for on a number of issues, including on the topic of Ukraine funding. So it is going to be an absolute battle between the House and the Senate. Yeah, I wonder, too, though, what it means to see lawmakers, especially Republicans, being so willing to use the military as a bargaining chip. Like, it seems like a new tactic here. In the past, you would have never seen this happening from Republicans or Democrats using troops and the military as a bargaining chip, essentially. I mean, you're absolutely right. That's really what they're doing and using them as leverage. But your power is limited when you're in the minority. And there's only so many leverage points that you have. There's only so many must-pass bills, you know, in the House and the Senate, the defense bill being one of them. But it's very much a, a play to the base strategy because these are the issues that have been animating the base lately over the last few years. So they're really, in their minds, reflecting what they're hearing from their constituents back home and trying to reflect that in things like the national defense bill. What does this fight over the defense bill tell you about what's happening in Congress more generally right now? And what's going to happen over the next few months? Because Congress has to get some spending bills passed, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's the concern right now is how they're going to fund the government if they can't even agree on something as non-controversial as the defense bill, right? I think more broadly, what we're seeing is that Congress is becoming just increasingly polarized and that bipartisanship is really a sort of dying idea and that it doesn't do anything for members anymore, that they're not winning points back home for being bipartisan and that they're actually being rewarded when they are being culture warriors or waging these partisan fights. We've seen members fundraising off of these things. The loudest members tend to get the most attention and get the most fundraising in dollars. Marjorie Taylor Greene is a prime example of that. And so our, the incentive structure, unfortunately, in our political system, um, it just incentivizes bad behavior and it does not incentivize bipartisanship anymore. And so it is raising concerns about how they're going to deal with basic functions of government like spending bills. And that fight is going to come to a head uh, in September. There's already concern about a potential government shutdown. You have conservatives saying that they would be absolutely willing to shut down the government if they don't get what they want on a number of issues, whether it's the border wall or other spending issues or targeting the FBI and DOJ. That's something that has become a rallying cry on the right. That is the concern that is really putting Congress in a chokehold right now. Do you have like a shutdown-ometer in your mind, like a speedometer, <laughs> where it's like you look at what's happening with the Defense Authorization Act and you're like, hmm, I think that's like ticking over into the red right now. 
<laughs> well, it, we'll probably start it September 1st when they get back <laughs> or whenever they get back from recess. It will definitely, that will be the storyline that dominates in September is shutdown watch. And that, I mean, that is the question, whether they're going to be able to fund the government or not. And it's not far out of the realm of possibility that we see a government shutdown. I mean, it's happened before. Um, there was a 35-day shutdown not that long ago. I would say a shutdown is definitely a possibility this year. Melanie, I'm super grateful for your time. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Melanie Zanona is a Capitol Hill reporter at CNN. And that's the show. If you're a fan of what we're doing here at What Next, the best way to support us is to go join Slate Plus. It is our membership program. Comes with all kinds of great benefits. Go check it out. Slate.com slash whatnextplus. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Ducharme. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back in this feed tomorrow. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.